Hello, America. Welcome to Cry Let It All Out with Sweet D, Sweetness, Cryer, Daryl, and hope you're having a great day. We're going to get into the killing of Tupac Shakur by Kathy Scott, and I got a poem uh, coming up at the end called Summer Day. Stay tuned. Let's get into it. We're on motives now. Uh, let's begin. Cry Let It All Out, a podcast dedicated to Tupac and Biggie to make sure their legacy is everlasting. Biggie, in his last interview published in The Source the week after he died, again insisted the rift between him and Tupac was blown out of proportion, but no one has ever said whether Biggie had an alibi for either or both the Manhattan and the Las Vegas shootings of Tupac. When asked, the police said they didn't know because Biggie was never a suspect. The rivalry wasn't relegated to Tupac and Biggie. It went right to the top. Shook Knight's death row records had been battling Puffy Combs' bad boy entertainment for control of the multi-million dollar rap music industry for a few years, and the rivalry heightened further, some say after the 1995 Source Awards in August at the Paramount Theater in Manhattan, when Shook criticized Combs on stage, making fun of his appearances on videos with bad boy artists. Shook was an award presenter. Before he left the stage, he said, if you don't want the owner of your label on your album or in your video or on your tour, come sign with Death Row. This was an obvious shot at Combs, who occasionally appears in his rappers' videos and sometimes raps on their albums. Puffy was shocked by Shook's blatant and public disrespect, and some say a battle to the death began that night. A few months later, at a party for producer Jermaine Dupree, a death row employee and Shook's close friend Jake Robles was shot. When he died a week later, Shook blamed Puffy Combs calling it a hit. No one was ever arrested, and Puffy has denied any involvement. Movie actor Warren Beatty became friendly with Shug while researching a movie project set in the rap world. Beatty discussed talk that Suge would retaliate against Puffy for Jake's death. It's sort of hard to keep up with the ap- apocryphal on Suge, Beatty told the New York Times. I mean, Puff Daddy, Muff Daddy, whatever. I know Suge was very close to the man who died, and I know he was very upset. The apocryphal is just talk, even when it's pungent. Still, rumors persisted, and if they had any substance, the few had escalated. Now people were being marked for death. What may have started out as hype to sell records had turned violent. Steve Jackson, a rap music producer who was with Biggie the night he was killed, told the Village Voice, You know as well as I know that people want to avenge Biggie's death, man, because they are very sad of the fact that he was set up. They have friends, and their friends have friends, and their friends want revenge. You still have Sugar Knight. You still have Puffy Combs. You still have their friends. You still have the East. You still have the West. 
Now, everybody is scared, Jackson continued. I don't think it would be in the best interest of Puffy to go back to L.A. anytime in the future. I don't think he should go back, period. I think they're definitely going to try to kill him. Somebody is out to kill him, just as they killed Biggie Smalls. It's a war that neither Death Row nor Bad Boy can contain, Village Voice reporter Pia Novo on March 25, 1997. Combs, Knight, and Snoop Doggy Dogg are undoubtedly concerned for their own lives. What you have are two of the biggest stars killed, shot down within six months, said Dominique Deprima, a DJ at LAKKBT. This is out of control. While the East and West record label rivalry was a pre prevalent early theory for a motive in a shooting, many blamed another, more obvious rivalry, the ongoing battle between the Bloods and Crips street gangs. In the days immediately following the shooting, rumors ran rampant that Tupac took a bullet meant for Suge, and that Tupac died in a war that involved gang members from Suge's old Compton neighborhood. Vibe Editor-in-Chief Alan Light said, I wouldn't be surprised if I didn't have anything to do with Tupac, but is more related to Suge. They have been up to three contracts on Suge's life at any given moment. He's very public about his gang affiliation. There are a lot of people with a lot of issues with him. In a photo taken just minutes before Tupac was shot, Sugar's is pictured holding a blood red rag in his hand, a well-known sign of blood's affiliation. Meanwhile, Orlando Anderson, who was beaten by Tupac's crew at the MGM Grand the night of his shooting, was a reputed member of the Southside Crips, according to Compton Police. According to the police affidavit, two months before Tupac was killed, there was a confrontation between some Crips and Bloods at the Lakewood Mall near Compton. Trayvon Lane, a.k.a. Trey D., a mob Pyro member and rap singer, was in the mall's Foot Locker store with Kevin Woods, also a known Pyro, where they were confronted by about eight Southside Crips members. The two crews fought, and Trey's diamond-laden death row pendant was stolen. On September 7th, Trey was in Las Vegas for the Tyson Selden fight with Suge Tupac and death row associates. After the boxing match, Trey reportedly recognized Orlando Anderson as one of the Crips who he claimed stole his pendant. Tupac Suge and the crew stomped and kicked Orlando, which was captured on the non-famous MGM Grand surveillance videotape. Police in the L.A. area were given this information from L.A. gang member informants. Investigators won't say if they tracked down and interviewed Trayvon Lane. It's their policy not to release names of or information about witnesses. Could Orlando have caught up with Sugar and Tupac later that evening and taken his revenge? Did Orlando Anderson have an alibi at 11.10 p.m. on September 7th? Las Vegas police won't say. We usually don't comment on statements made by potential witnesses and suspects, Sergeant Kevin Manning said. The random or semi-random theory supposes that rival gang members simply happened upon the death row caravan at Flamingo and Coval, and finding themselves in a serendipitous position penetrated a spontaneous attack. 
George Kellesis, the Las Vegas attorney who organized the benefit at Club 662 the night of the shooting, said, I never really have reconciled it. I've heard so many stories. It could have been in my mind as simple as just some gangbanger trying to make a name for himself. The possibilities are infinite. To buy into the story that it was planned, how in God's earth did they pull it off? Tupac drove into Las Vegas at the last minute. Plans change. I was supposed to go to go. I was supposed to go in the limo with Shug, but people started lining up at Club Six Six Two at five o'clock. I couldn't leave the benefit, so Shug went in Tupac's car. Everything that happened prior to the fight was all last minute. The plans changed at the last minute, and nobody, not even us, knew it. Sugar was going to come late, and a lot of stars were coming late. I think the shooting was happenstance. If it was a plan to kill him, then those guys were good because they had to have a crystal ball to figure it out. In either the retaliation or the random scenarios, it's possible that it wasn't Tupac who was specifically targeted. Killing Tupac or Suge would have sufficed in circumstances the traffic pattern resulted in Tupac's side of the car taking the brunt of the attack. If nothing else, any version of the gang motive provides an easy out for investigators. In my opinion, it was black gang-related, probably a Bloods Crips thing. Metro gang detective Chuck Cassell told Kevin Powell, Look at Tupac's tattoos and album covers. That's not the Jackson 5. It looks like a case of live by the sword, live by the sword, die by the sword. At the hospital the afternoon Tupac died, a woman had been standing with Tupac's family, describing herself as a family friend, hinted that there would be retaliation for Tupac's death. You're not going to hear any talk about retaliation here. That'll come later, she said to me as she stood inside the trauma center's lobby. Marcos, a friend of Tupac, who had met him on the set of a video 18 months earlier, sat on the hood of a white BMW parked outside the trauma center 30 minutes after Tupac was pronounced dead. Marcos was wearing a colorless, crisp white shirt and white shorts. A couple of his friends stood stoically beside him. They all had the L.A. look with their clothing style and jewelry. As Marcos began talking to reporters, his friends backed away. When asked, why are you here, Marcos looked down and answered quietly, meant to show my respect to Tupac, to show respect to his family and his mother. We're here for her. We're here for Pac. After the reporters were done with Marcos, I stuck around and asked them if friends of Tupac knew who their assailant was. He said, yeah, we know. We know who did it. Then I asked why. If they knew who the shooter was, didn't they tell the police? He replied, nobody wants to help the police. What for? What are they going to do? They can't bring him back. I'm just saying that whoever did this is going to get found. The people who find him, I don't know what they'll do, but they'll take care of it in their own way. When I asked if the assailants would eventually leak information that they shot Tupac, he said they already have. He declined to say who did it. All he said was, they're not from Las Vegas. Finally, could Trigger have possibly ordered Tupac hit to sell more CDs? 
Some observers don't think it's as far-fetched as it sounds. As one insider put it, think about it, Tupac's worth more dead than alive. According to a police source, Drug Knight had been considered a possible suspect from the beginning, especially in light of rumors that a hefty life insurance policy had been taken out on Tupac before his death. According to the rumors, after the Tupac signed with Death Row, a $4 million insurance policy was written on him, naming Death Row, not Tupac's family, the beneficiary. Rick Fitchpin, Fanny Shakur's attorney, who represents Tupac Estates, said he too had heard talk about the insurance policy, but said we haven't been able to substantiate it. Metro PD Sergeant Kevin Manning said that no one, including Shignay, had been eliminated as a possible suspect. But when asked what Knight could have gained financially with Tupac gone, Manning said, I have no comment about the money. A representative for the state of California's Office of Insurance said no claims of fraud and no investigations had been opened in the Shakur case. It's not known which company, if any, wrote the policy. Death is a commodity, you know, commented Ramsey Jones, a clerk at Tower Records in Greenwich Village, New York, explaining to the Associated Associated Press why he couldn't keep Biggie's CDs on the show. They were selling quicker than he could stock them. A music industry insider who asked not to be identified had to say this. Here's my theory. At first, these rap artists are small-time investments. They're lucky if they make one album. When they start getting up to four albums, they're big investments. Then they become a liability. And they re... Main a liability as long as they're alive. They lead lavish lifestyles and get in trouble. Tupac Shakur and Biggie Smalls, they got themselves in trouble a lot. They had big malls. The record companies had to bail them out all the time, get them out of trouble. They had to keep throwing money at them for their lifestyles, their cars, their condos, their women. But if they're dead and, they're already, and they've already cut their albums, the record companies are just selling their albums. They're not giving the money to them anymore. They don't cost them anything. The green keeps coming in, but they don't have to spend anything to get it. You understand? Green comes in and nothing goes out to the rappers because they're dead. At the time of his death, Tupac had some 200 songs recorded, worth potentially hundreds of millions of dollars. And by all accounts, he's certainly taken on the posture of a liability. Worth more dead than alive? Unlikely. Tupac's star was still on the rise. However, his interest appeared to be shifting slightly, broadening to include a time-consuming movie career. Worse yet, Tupac reportedly was putting out feelers for a new record company to produce his albums once he fulfilled his three-album contract with Death Row. A few days before he was killed, he formally sent a letter telling David Kenner that he no longer could represent him, basically firing him, said Rick Fishman. On top of it all, Tupac may have been beginning to make noises about money. Death Row Records claimed that at the time of his death, Tupac owed $4.9 million, even though he sold more than $60 million in albums for the label. Hmm. The money Tupac owed 
death row claims was for services rendered, including Tupac's jail bond money. But if any Shakur has said that it's in question where all the money was going that his albums were making. Fishburne claims that Suge would throw money at Tupac periodically to keep him happy. He asked over and over again for accountings of things that he did, the monies that came in, and he never got it. When he screamed loud enough, I'm told they would someone would bring over a car and say, Tupac, here's a Rolls Royce, and he'd drive it around. Then when he died, the family found out none of it was his. Also brought into question has been Shug's decision to leave the scene of the shooting and head in a direction away from area hospitals. It makes It's a mistake easily dismissed given the confusion of the moment. Much more interesting is George Kellis' statement that a planned effort would have required a crystal ball because nobody knew the night's plans until the last minute Shug knew. But reality takes hold when you consider the actual course of events. It seems inconceivable that Shug would risk putting himself in the path of 13 shots sprayed from a semi-automatic weapon and, in fact, take a bullet in the head to distance distance himself from Tupac's murder. If he'd known what was coming, you'd think he would have at least worn a bulletproof vest that night to help ensure his safety. He didn't. In an interview with Lena Nozeswi on America's Most Wanted, Shug said as much, calling speculation that he had arranged a shooting ludicrous. If you look at any interview that Tupac did, if you look at any video, any TV show he did, one thing he always did was praise Death Row. And me and him praised each other. Just shoot me in my head, make sure you hit me in my head so it can look good. That's crazy. The theory that Trigger had something to do with the death of his top rapper also suffers when you consider Shug's Bloods gang affiliation. Why would he hire a rival Crips member? Las Vegas and Compton police have speculated that Crips were the shooters to kill Tupac. It doesn't make sense. Though some might argue that it provides the perfect cover, it also creates several additional possibilities for leaks. Yet another music insider insisted, the trail clearly leads to money. Who benefits, the source asked. Whatever motive you buy into, the green is certainly flowing into the record companies. Tupac's posthumous Don Kiluminati, The Seven Day Theory, recorded under the pseudonym, pseudonym Machiavelli, released six weeks after Tupac's death sold 660. 664,000 units in the first week and 2.5 million copies by April 1997. And Biggie's Pots double album, Life After Death, sold 690,000 copies in its first week, topping the Billboard charts with the best first week sales since the Beatles' double album, Anthology 1, was released in 1995. Stores couldn't keep it stocked. What's more, the green, if a finisher cause to be believed, doesn't appear to be flowing out too fast, at least not in her direction. If any contends she is owed money by music and by a music industry that continues to profit from her son's music. 
The entertainment business is a business of prostitution and thievery, and that was rampant around my son's talent, Offending told ABC's Primetime Live. He absolutely thought he was quite rich and that his family would, you know, be rich forever. Please remember that my great-grandmother was a slave, my grandmother was a sharecropper, my mother was a factory worker, and I was a legal worker. Do you understand? And so this represents the first time in our life, in our memory ever, that we have been able to enjoy the American dream. And that's what Tupac brought to his family. But her son owned no assets. Death Row Records apparently doled out money and expensive merchandise. Cars, clothes, jewelry, a condo, a Fenny's house, cash to Tupac, but none of the assets were in his name. After Tupac died, Fenny arranged to meet with Shirk to settle her son's estate. She said in the same primetime live interview, and kept telling Rick Fishman, we're just going to, well, meet with Suge. He'll tell you everything. We'll meet with him first. But he didn't even show up. In December 1996, Afeni filed an infringement lawsuit against Death Row Records for selling hats, t-shirts, and sweatshirts connected with Tupac without her permission. After the lawsuit was filed, Death Row and two companies that made and distributed the merchandise agreed to a sales moratorium during a hearing in the U.S. District Court in Los Angeles. They also promised to deposit potential royalties in a court-monitored account, more than half a million dollars total. Also, three record producers in March 1997 agreed to delay the release of an album containing two early recordings by Tupac. The move came as a federal judge in Sacramento, California, was to rule on a restraining order requested by Fenicia Corps, a state attorney. The three Sacramento area producers were accused in court documents of intentionally infringing upon Tupac's valuable trademark and publicity rights. The complaint continued. The trio is profiting from the illicit conversion of songs that he authored and performed in or about 1990 before he became famous and which belonged to Shakur's estate. The producer's actions are especially predatory and harmful at this critical point in time when Shakur's recordings and film appearances are receiving widespread critical acceptance before a mainstream audience. Celeste Chosa Fishman's assistant said Fenny was also seeking rights to previously unseen home videotape of Tupac that was reproduced in the biographical film Thug Immortal. The movie stayed on the Billboard Top 20 list for several weeks after it was released. Fenny has also accused Death Row of not giving her any money from her son's estate since his death. She told Primetime Live that Trigger had told her at the hospital at her son's deathbed that he would take care of her and her family. When asked if Sugar had done that, Fenny answered no. Sugar, however, told Lena Nozizwi with Fox's America's Most Wanted that Fenny was paid. When I was in jail, I gave her a check for three million, Trigg said. Plus, I think in four or five months, Tupac spent 2.4 million, 2.5 million. Fenny claims that the three million came from Interscope, not Shug, like he promised her. 
Besides the money, she described the masters of the 200 songs he recorded as missing. We don't know where the masters are because we can't get an accounting from Death Row Records, she said. Shug's attorney, David Kenner, echoed Shug's comments that Death Row had made numerous advances to Tupac and that all of his money had properly accounted for and paid in a timely manner. Shug responded to the comments during his final appearance in court. I'm not mad, but I'm disappointed at Tupac's mother, Shug said during his sentencing speech. People tell her that the songs I paid for and marketed is her songs, and she made statements saying that he never got any money. I got signed documents where he received over $2.5 million even before he was supposed to receive money. And beyond all that, when he was incarcerated, I gave his mother $3 million. But when the media gets it, it turns around that I left him for dead. I left him with zero and that, and that I'm this monster. If I was so bad, I would have no success to a primetime live. I know business. I know how to take my artists and give them superstar status and let them get what they deserve. Death Row Records countersued after Fenny filed suit against the record company. Death Row claimed Tupac's estate owed the record company $7 million for advances and expenses paid out to Tupac. Rick Fishman, who was in the middle of negotiating a settlement on behalf of Tupac's mother with Death Row Records, said a sizable settlement was imminent. We're close to a settlement, Fishburne said in July 1997. It's a substantial settlement. If it happens, we're certainly all working to try to settle it. Fishburne also indicated that Death Row had compiled, complied on providing an accounting that the settlement would not be one lump sum, but a percentage of future sales of Tupac's work. We now have an accounting, Fishburne said. What's being discussed is not just a single payment. Music is odd in that it doesn't really matter who owns it. The real question is, who gets the money for releasing it or playing it? Owning it is an interesting issue, and it might lead you to get those other rights, but those rights could be separate. These issues are all being discussed. Police won't commit to saying which of the motive scenarios they believe is most likely. At this point in the investigation, it's still anyone's guess. No one's been arrested, but as Metro PD Sergeant Kevin Manning pointed out, no one's been ruled out as a suspect either. Let me check the time real quick, America. All right, we're almost, time's almost up, and we're going to do the poem real soon. Let me just finish this up, motives. Police won't come into saying which of the motives scenarios they believe is most li likely. At this point in the investigation, it's still anyone's guess. No one's been arrested, but as Metro PD Sergeant Kevin Manning pointed out, no one's been ruled out as a suspect either. And no one means no one. One final theory transcends all the others and implicates the white record company power brokers themselves. Death Row is a black-owned label, but it was financed by white corporate bosses who, is, 
who, it's long been alleged, have profited by exploiting young black men from the ghetto. Use them up and throw them away is the charge. Tupac Shakur's legal problems alone had become a public relations nightmare for Death Row's parent corporation. Add to that the public attack on Time Warner over gangster rap lyrics Time Warner eventually sold its stake in Interscope, and you have the foundation for a monster conspiracy scenario, the proportions of which dwarf anything previously discussed. Backers of the motive conclude that the murders of Biggie Smalls and Yafu Fulu were crafted to look like gang retaliation to cover tracks. Writer Kevin Powell said rappers and people in the music business are afraid to speculate about who killed Tupac Shakur. That's the talk to be honest on the streets, he said. It may have been gang members who pulled the trigger. People believe that there may be people behind it, people bigger than gang members. People are afraid to even speculate. It's much more profound than death row bad boy. Will we ever know who killed John F. Kennedy or Martin Luther King? Okay, that's the end of Chapter 11, Motives. Um, So we have two more chapters in this book. Two more chapters to go. And then we'll be done with the killing of Tupac Shakur and Biggie Smalls. And then we'll move on to Michael Jackson next. I get the poem for you now. It's called Summer Day. We come together as one. Don't you just like the brightness of the sun? No rain, just hot summer days. Bright as can be, just to amaze. And we say Tupac and Biggie and how how their rhymes and mothers made us feel giggly. Just a t-shirt and jeans looking clean, praying for dreams. Two of the most remarkable rappers gone from the scene. Unbelievable, as Big would say. Can't put it any other way. Cry, let it all out for the pain I sustain. But think of the terrific eagle leading with their wings. Some birds who can sing. It just blows my mind, this whole thing. How about ice cream on a summer day? Takes all your ordeals away. Tupac in his headscarf, Biggie with his hats. Both of them rapped exact and would attract everyone with their music seducing your ears. Neither had any fears. Tupac's ambition as a rider to escape from poverty. Biggie's got a story to tell was he had to feed his family. To their families, I would like to tell you I'm sorry. This podcast dedicated to them and their remembrance so put your hands together for them on any weather but since it's summer blast the music in your hammer just remember they are number one and number two and all the things they were put through cry let it all out if you want to sweet d daryl and paxton All right, that's the end of the podcast for this week, America. Cry, let it all out. Hope you enjoyed it. See you next time. See you next time. And remember, America, sweet D loves you.